Welcome to the Vanderbilt University Medical Center's Faculty Forum with your host, Matt Warhoover. So let me bring in uh, Matt Warhoover and Joey Lapore uh, from uh, Vanderbilt. And welcome, guys. Good morning. How are you? Hey. Hey, good to morning, see Joe. you. I heard you're I heard you're working uh, really hard out there that uh, you guys have been just blowing up. And I'm, I don't know if that's from COVID from your side or if that's just from post COVID, all these held off hearts and transplants and everything else that you're you do at Vanderbilt, uh, which is the cause of all of the uptick in acuity and volume. Well, I think it's a little bit of, of, of all of that. So are you reverb, Joe? I'm sorry. Do I get any reverb? I, I'm not hearing it. You sound good to us. Perfect. So uh, no, I think it's a little bit of everything. Uh, our COVID numbers are not have not gone up like you talked about. Uh, we are laying in wait to see what uh, Omicron brings, but uh, I think it's uh, a little bit of everything. I think people are starting to uh, come back out and do normal visits uh, in addition to the telehealth visits. And I think it is, it's a kind of a, 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 a wave, if you will, of all these, uh, you know, pushback or pent up uh, office visits and, and cats that we're seeing. Uh, it, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not specific just to Vanderbilt in Nashville. Uh, all, all three major uh, medical centers in Nashville are extremely busy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, perfusion's a tight group, as you know, and so we, we keep in contact with our colleagues across town and uh, they're just as busy. Yeah. So yeah. It, it's so, interesting because I don't know if you're seeing this, but in uh, uh, here, I, I have several colleagues and friends now who either had previously uh, 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 experienced COVID or were are fully vaccinated and or fully vaccinated with a booster who have now gotten COVID again, but their symptoms are different, which I'm hearing with the Omicron, you don't get uh, loss of uh, taste and smell, but they feel horrible and they're sick, but they don't have the uh, respiratory component where they're short of breath or having any of those kinds of issues. A mild cough is about all they're really experiencing, but they can breathe fine they just are febrile and they feel really bad. Um, and they've, not been, they've been tested and are positive for COVID, but they don't know if it's the Omicron variant or it's um, just you know, some other mu or Delta again, or we just nobody knows. What are you seeing and experiencing there? Yeah, Joe, uh, like Matt said earlier, our, our numbers aren't drastically, you know, changed. There was a slight uptick. Uh, I think we were down in the teens in, in, in the hospital last week. I think we're just shy of 30 now. Um, I mean, we had one on the vent last week, and then we're up to three. So not nothing drastic. Um, and like you said, I think it's a little too early to tell or even, you know, um, find out if, if it is, you know, the, the Omicron variant. Um, but yeah, the, the acuity is, is, is not quite as bad as what they're, um, or, or I guess it's not bad yet. Don't know where, what will happen. I think it's going to take some time to, 
to figure out, you know, um, you know, if, if this is going to be, um, you know, as transmissible or, you know, there's just, there's no telling. I think it's just a little too early mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, to, to, to panic or anything like that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're making preparations and everything like that, um, you know, anticipating an uptick, you know, after the holidays, things like that. But, um, yeah, yeah I think it's just kind of a, unfortunately like a wait and see type deal. Yes. Well, I think you're, yeah, I agree. I think you're hundred percent right. Um, I, you know, both in transmissibility and, uh, virulence, we just don't really know. And of course, you know, we don't know if people who are getting it, Again, if it is Omicron and they are vaccinated, if it would have been worse, were they not vaccinated? Um, the new vaccine, I guess, that deals with the uh, more specifically with the spike protein uh, differences that exist with this one, whether we're all going to have to get yet another booster. Um, it's 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 really it's just hard to say. I uh, I wish I could figure it all out, but I don't know. I agree with you. We don't know where it's going to go, if it's going to go anywhere. We just have no idea. And so are you seeing, are you, you know, I've heard that there are, there's push out there, governmentally anyway, to start backing off elective procedures again to save room for another surge of some sort. Are you guys doing that or seeing that or considering that? Uh, not, not to my knowledge. We, we kind of get updates every Monday, but we have not heard that with our, uh, uh, you know, with our chief of staff or, or the, the hospital administration hierarchy. Um, but in, in defense, um, you know, even in the, um, you know, the, the biggest peaks of, uh, you know, the, the first wave, second wave, and maybe Delta, if that's how you're going to categorize it. We really, um, we really only did preventative measures that first wave about, um, and it was more, it was more staffing. We would have five, uh, 50% of our staffing in hospital for a week, 50% off just to try to, we didn't, you know, in the beginning, you didn't know mm. um, how, how transmissible it was. Um, but we really didn't slow down as far as cardiac surgery wise. We, we, Cardiac surgery did not uh, did not slow down mm-hmm. as far mm-hmm. as, uh, you know, uh, elective cases. Uh, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, however you look at it, we don't uh, a large part of our, uh, you know, casework is not elective cabbage. It's, uh, you know, it, 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 in fact, that's a very small percentage right. of what we do. Um, so we weren't really affected um, very much as far as about the, the elective uh, shutdown. Yeah, that's interesting because we do come from such different worlds. Almost all, 90% of our stuff is scheduled and elective, and 90% of your stuff is it's go time. But you yeah. probably have a very, a very almost predictable it's go time because of just the nature of your beast. And we have, a, like, when we, when we get an emergency yeah i mean we're we're pretty adept adept at it now but you know even still when we get an emergency it's oh we got an emergency we got to go you know it's like and for you and for you it's oh we got an emergency we probably we need to go you know you pro it's like how we view things so differently uh through our experiences so 
Um, I know that you're going to be talking today about your year in review, your 2021 heart transplantation. And of course, in 2020, I do want to tee this up. Um, you were the world's leader in heart transplantation. And uh, I'll be interested to see how that evolved through 2021 and if you've maintained uh, that distinction. So with that said, uh, Matt and Joey, again, thank you so much. I know you guys are busy as heck and tired. You look tired, actually. You look good, but you, you look tired. Joey's just sort of hunched over. He's looking older than you, and he's just, and he's still really young, but he's hunched over already. Um, and, uh, but with that said, uh, I'll let you take it all over and uh, talk to us about your heart transplantation 2021 versus 2020. Well, in defense of Joey, you know, he's hunched over because he, he carries me most of the time. His back is sore, Joe. I, I <laughs> carry the team, Joe. I, I, you know, I understand that. Anybody's name is Joe or Joey, we all carry it. I know. I understand. I've been lugging Tammy around. I'm her personal chauffeur. Everywhere we go, I have to drive her and buy her breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Best job in the world. And coffee in the morning. All right, let's let them do their thing. All right, well, we wanted to just uh, kind of review uh, year-end, uh, the, the 2020 data versus where we're at 11 months in. Uh, this data was actually good as of midnight. Uh, so uh, welcome December in, but uh, we're 11, min 11 months into this uh, 2021 calendar year. And so uh, let's get at it. So a little bit of terminology uh, to talk about. So we, we do four different types of uh, uh, four different categories of heart transplantation. Um, and just for the acronyms, uh, this is what our um, our organ procurement um, team uses um, as as their acronyms. And so I wanted to kind of. Uh, Give you the the, the terminology and, and what the uh, monikers and the acronyms were for it so the ah uh, is our cold storage so it's typically your tr traditional heart transplantation um comes from a brain dead donor uh with with a you know a beating heart uh they're pronounced dead prior um to coming to the operating room um so the the, the patient is no longer a, a patient of the hospital um, they are they are now a uh, an organ donor that doesn't have a, an armband with a patient name. They have an organ donor um, armband, and we do a traditional beating heart cross clamp, cold flush uh, uh, um, solution, and then uh, explant into a cooler. Transport uh, traditionally um, ground transportation to a plane, uh, plane. Back to ground, back to the hospital, or if it's you know locally in town, it's just uh, ambulance from hospital to hospital. So Matt, can I just inter oh, Matt, just for the sake of the argument, AH? Yep. Um, is I'm assuming that just stands for allograft heart. That's correct. Okay. Yep. Yep. And then uh, your DCDH is your uh, because we do DCD livers and we do DCD lungs. So this is uh, their acronym, uh, and the reason I'm going through this is the next slides they they utilize uh, these um, these acronyms. So uh, your DCD heart 
It's the uh, it's a Transmedics OCS device. We use the Transmedics OCS DCD protocol, which um, traditionally it, you do a little bit different uh, on the management of the heart, but the, the primary difference in the setup is that you're using a, a bag of levothyroxine as a um, as an additive uh, a drip solution. It's a, it's a constant uh, it's a constant drip. Uh, that's really the, the main difference between the DCD um, Transmedics and your the the traditional Transmedics OCS. Um, so the the do donation is after cardiac death. The patient uh, is uh, considered a patient when they're brought to the OR. Uh, there is a, a a team at the local hospital that takes care of that patient. Um, they withdraw care either with or without the family in the operating room, uh, depending on the circumstances. Uh, the patient, uh, there are strict criteria um, that that um, these, uh, that Transmedics um, has set, and it's uh, below 70% on the SVO2. When that drops, the clock starts, or a, uh, a MAP of less than 50. Um, and so that's when... Uh, the clock starts. So either either one of those thresholds, as soon as the, the the blood pressure or the SAT drops below either of those two marks, that's when the clock starts. And we have 30 minutes for the patient to actually expire. Um, then there's a two to five minute standoff period, and then the patient is reassessed by the uh, by the physician that's taking care of them in the operating room, and then they're after the five or two minute standoff, uh, they're, they're checked for a heartbeat, uh, checked for vital signs, and uh, then they're declared um, dead. That's the, time of the, that's the time of death, and then uh, the procedure starts of, of going in and getting the heart. Um, they do, a, uh, they do a, a, a cold flush, just like your, your traditional um, heart transplantation. They explant the heart. Uh, the difference here is that, that they implant the heart back on the OCS machine, and then we more or less condition and, and recondition the heart um, in transport um, back, and we have you know somewhere between eight to fourteen hours, um, at five to fourteen hours is really uh, reasonable of, of looking at the heart, checking lactates, making maneuvers to to try to um, more or less recover the, the heart so it's, uh, you know, capable to be implanted back in um, our recipient here. And the final, the final call is the, um, is the pr uh, primary investigator, the PI of, of, uh, of the study here. And so he declares whether we're going to take the heart or not uh, once they get back. And once we get back with it, he takes a look at it, uh, the implanting surgeon, if it's not him, they look at it, they discuss it, and then uh, we move forward um, with the implant or uh, we reject it and we turn it down. Mm. That's a lot of the. That's a lot it, of work. It's a lot of manpower. To how many, do you mind if I ask, how many times have you, re, have you gotten a heart back after uh, an eight-hour ordeal and it's been rejected? That's uh, next slide, Joe. I'm going to get oh, to you. sorry. <laughs> no, no problem. And then so... Uh, the, uh, I, I don't have I don't have the uh, I don't have that data right off the top of my head, but we will get to it. The third is the expand trial, and that's your uh, that's your traditional brain dead donor. 
um, that goes into the operating room. They, they, that the patient does not. It's not a patient any longer. Uh, they have a. Um, they have a, 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 a time of death prior to going to the operating room, and it's very much like the cold storage that it, in in the, the top bullet. The only difference is is either a it's a marginal heart that um, that we're a little, a little concerned about, or two the length of travel for your traditional storage is too far for hospital to hospital transport. Um, uh, here in Tennessee, we've, we've, or Nashville, we've gone all the way to Las Vegas, Albuquerque. Um, where, where else have we gone? It's pretty far. It's like, yeah, Phoenix, Arizona, um, Durango, Colorado. Yeah. yeah. We've, we've done some long trips, you know, three and a half, uh, three hours and 45 minute, four hour flights. Um, and, you know, you're talking about in cold storage, we all know that four hours is about the limit. And so you're with three and a half to four hour flights. Um, you're, you're already, you're already, you're not even in the hospital with the organ and you're uh, over that four minute uh, threshold or four hour threshold. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then so finally is the ECMO DCD. Um, that's what they like to call it. It's, it's just easier. They don't, NRP DCD is actually what it really is. And that's normothermic regional perfusion. Um, that's donation after cardiac uh, after cardiac death, so that's a DCD. Um, same way with slide two. The only difference is, is that it, we have continued to. We don't. We're not set by limitations of the study. Um, it's the exact same procedure that happens in what well, I talked about the Transmedics OCS DCD. The difference is, is that we're not using the Transmedics device, and we have continued to modify and push the limits of uh, what we find is the parameters. So in the beginning, we used the DCD parameters that Transmedic put, the MAP uh, goal of 50 and the SVO. Then we pushed it to 40 minutes, and then it was 50 minutes, and it was an hour. And now we've actually dropped the SVO2 limit at all. We just worry about a blood pressure maps less than 50. And the, the thought process behind that is a, a probe on the finger is probably not indicate of what is really going on at the cap, uh, coronary level mm -hmm. of what your oxygenation is. And so just because we've dipped below 70 uh, on, on a finger probe, um, you know, the body's natural response is to, is to shut down organ systems in, in least, um, you know, vital um, uh, importance. You know, your skin and tissue, it'll contract first and everything just as a, as a septic shock or, uh, you know, some sort of uh, hypovolemic, things get shut down in reverse order that's of importance. So a, a, a finger probe is probably not the best um, measure of what is going on at the, at the coronary level. And so we've decided to push the limits uh, to just look at maps. And I think what, 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 what's the what's the longest we've gone about? It's been greater than an hour. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Anything over an hour is kind of a surprise to us, but I mean, we've had success with it. So just keep it going. So and and you know, every time every time we push the limit, we you know do a little retrospective look and go. 
okay, was it because it was a, a 18 year old or a 19 year old donor? Was it uh, because um, you know we had we had really good um, uh, normothermic regional perfusion afterwards? Did did other organ um, um, go with that heart? Because when we have a liver team and we have a lung team, and we have a kidney team, and we have a, a, another mm -hmm. abdominal team, whether it be pancreas, when they're doing their dissection, um, we're fully heparinized. Um, we lose, um, that they're just not used to the, 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 the blunt, they're not used to the dissection and the, and the uh, mindful cautery use. So we're going through a lot of blood um, at times when we have more teams in there. And uh, the, the perfusion, is not as uh, good as it could be because you're dealing with multiple teams and multiple, I don't want to say agendas, that's, the, that's a strong word, but everybody is concerned about their organ. They don't really quite understand the importance of the regional perfusion uh, of, of the organ. They're used to the traditional DCDs where it's fine, a liver and a kidney can be taken even after without perfusing um, on a DCD. So their, their dissection is a lot different um, when there's an active blood pressure, especially when you're trying to hyperperfuse hyper uh, the organs to recover them as fast as possible. If yeah. that makes sense to you, Joe. Yeah, it does. You know, it, yeah, it's it very difficult to do when you're trying to, you know, you're trying to perfuse the patient and you have, like you just mentioned, all of these teams, you're trying to make sure you have a good coronary perfusion pressure, you have good uh, you know, physiology, you're washing the lactates out and then, you know, they're just, they're, they're, they're perhaps not as aware of the need for really good hemostasis while you're doing these dissections and you've probably got low flow situations, chattering, I'm sure, in your line, struggling, you know, having to get bicarb, you've got blood loss. Yeah, I could see it as being a very complicated thing to do. And I actually had a question. I don't know if you want me to ask the question now or you might wait. But um, the, the question that I had is, because of that, would it not make sense? Because you have all these protocols, like the transmedics protocol, you have the pressure gets down, you have the period of time before you have cardiac death, and then you have the standoff period, and then you go in there and you move real fast. And all of these things that are going on, does it would it not make sense to have it more protocolized in terms of having coordination with a coordinator? In other words, there is one, the, somebody who is keeping all of these teams mm -hmm. working in a way that maximizes the uh, preservation of each of those organs and 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 because I'm respectful of the fact that they're worried about their liver, they're worried about their kidney, they're worried about their whatever it may be. But if you don't work in a way that that maximizes the protection of all of those organs, including the ones like the heart, which are going to be much more sensitive, um, that you could really not have the best graft that you would want. Yeah, we, uh, it's really the OPO that is supposed to be the ringleader. But uh, you know, Joey's been on enough of these; uh, he can he can comment. It, it's really we we have we have a, a protocol that we send to the OPO um, that, and we have a timeout that our cardiac surgeon talks with the time in the timeout exactly what's going to happen. 
I just think this is so new, um, in my opinion, and that um, people are really, they're, they're really, I don't want to say dismissive, but it's they're really focused on what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And in, a, in the timeout, it, it's almost, we, we've had it to where people were like, we didn't know you were going to do that. And in the timeout, it was cleared out, it, it was clearly spelled out. And then they, they go to ask another organ team, and they're like, that, that, they didn't say that, did they? They look you know, over to the kidney team, the liver surgeon will look over at the kidney surgeon and go, did they really say that? Yeah, it, it, that's what we talked about in the timeout. It's almost as though they, they don't, it, it, they've gone through the motion so many times mm -hmm. of a traditional, mm -hmm. and they don't under, they, it's almost like they're just checking the box for the timeout. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's almost impressive that you go, were, were, were you not listening? And, yes, and it, right. like I said, I think it's one of those things, kind of like in, you know, in perfusion and, and pilots, uh, anything that has a check off, if you've done, and, and you go, oh, this is just a, you know, this is, I'm just here to check the box. Please be quiet. Just listen. I have no idea what people are thinking about or, or at, at the time, but it is not, they are not engaged in the timeout. It, it's almost like you want to ask them, okay, can you still, can you, you know, spell it back to me, or can you talk me through what we're going to do? Mm -hmm. That's really pro that's really the suggestion that we're talking about doing because it happens multiple times. Talking, yeah. yeah. What do you think, Joey? Yeah, no, absolutely. And um, you know, it's it's an unfortunate thing, and it's a different topic. You know, it is getting uh, comfortable with timeouts, um, but in, in this instance, um, yeah, I mean, you, you'd be surprised how they're not uh, grasping the concept of what we're doing and or they're thinking that we're putting the heart on the box. You know, we, we ran into that a few times where they're thinking that we're bringing the OCS in and they've seen that before, so that's mm -hmm. what they think we're doing. Mm -hmm. And I know it's something totally different, um, you know, and, and I guess it throws them off and, and, and we've had also excuses of um, just there's not enough data out there, which truly there, there's not. I mean, it's because it is so new. And, um, you know, so, yeah, I think um, having somebody there to spell it out for everybody, which typically is, falls on the OPO, um, who Matt said, you know, is, is the, the, the ringleader, is, is supposed to coordinate all that information, you know, on what everybody's supposed to do. And then, um, you know, typically we try to have, you know, a, a, an overall timeout in the room, but also a cardiac surgeon tries to, to speak participate mm -hmm. yeah and that's that's the you know that's the, the the thing you know i i do find this to be the case where when you have multiple teams like that you know you it, it's there's there's a lot of egos involved in this industry i think everybody knows that and uh you know just because you're a heart surgeon who are you to be the primary coordinator it's almost as if i think it would make more sense to have it uh, as a as a requirement for reimbursement for something some something that is more officially codified that this is the person who is the coordinator and the OPO is supposed to be the as you said the ringleader but you have all of these other people who what varying degrees of paying attention and well, uh, or listening or hearing or concentrating on that whole big picture and not just their little microcosm. Yeah. Joey, Matt, jo I, I wanna, may I ask a quick mm. question about that? Do you do, oh, um, yeah. before the timeout, do you do any sort of 
everyone participating in what's about to happen pre-huddle and everyone talks about their roles and exactly what's going to happen? Do you do anything like that? It's funny. Every what happens is everybody is brought into the room. There's an introduction. Uh -huh. uh, how, how, how it goes about There's an introduction of who everybody is, what, what team they're a part of, and what their role is in the play. Then there's a, a, a message from usually the family or um, you know the organ procurement um, organization that talks about the, the, the gift and that uh, who the person is that's giving the gift, and and then there's an official timeout of what we're going to do. Oh. So it, it is it's very regimented. Yeah. I just think that yeah. it, I, I just think that it's literally people have gone through the motions so many times yeah. of of a different type that this is so new and. That they're, at times they're caught off guard. Now, I will say that we've got some repeat kidney docs and some repeat liver docs that, you know, are out there either uh, harvesting for their own organization or they're just a, 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 a locum uh, harvester. The repeat people, they, they already know what's coming in and, and they get it. So there's a couple guys in Kentucky that when we see them, it, we already know it's going gonna, it's gonna to go flawlessly. So mm -hmm. it's it's not so much the it's not so much that this is a concept that's difficult to grasp. Mm -hmm. It's just it's a little bit of thinking outside the box the very first time, mm -hmm. and it, it's hard to explain what's going to happen. Uh, it, it, I'm sorry, it's not hard to explain. It's hard to grasp the concept. It seems mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, until you see it, and then all of a sudden it seems like the light bulb goes on. Uh, I did confident that all this blood and this uh, you know lack of uh, hemostasis, we don't have traditional pump suckers. Right. Right. Um, so, so it's going straight to the uh, it's going straight to the door knock or whatever yeah. suction, ma you know, major yeah. suction device. So, you know, it, it th that's why I almost have a, you know we comment out loud, hey, uh, you know, we kind of watch those lines and, and we see you know frank blood going through. They're like, hey, uh, is there any way we can you know cut down on that? You know, we we, we need that volume back or mm -hmm. and, and so. We make comments to our cardiac surgeon who tries to, you know, it, it has a peer-to-peer -peer relationship at the table. Um, so we, we have some cues that we give to our surgeons uh, that, we, you know, we, that we know that are, you know, buzzwords for them, for them to look left and right um, after the traditional cannulation. Because really the, the hardest part is getting on uh, the NRP device, and then once everything is stable, cannulas are sewn in, it's really the dissection part that is the most difficult after that for all the other organs. And so they're kind of, the cardiac surgeon's kind of at the table just checking things out, really step to the side a little bit, but they're kind of our eyes and uh, our suggestions at the table. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it does. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, should we get to the second slide? First sure. Slide? So these are 2020 results. Uh, the highlights are we did 125 um, adult um, heart transplants in uh, calendar year 2020. Um, we went on 21 dry runs that um, did not um, produce a heart. Um, as you can see, uh, six of them were our normal uh, cold storage. Um, eight of them were our DCD um, transmedics. Um, two were our expand transmedics, and then we did five of our NRPs um, that that uh, did not 
did not, uh, we, we went out, did this traditional NRP, and the organ was not good um, at the location. We have not brought an organ back from DCD that we did not implant. Mm -hmm. So all five were aborted at the, at the level of the hospital we were going to see. So um, that's what I'll, I'll touch on there. Uh, we did do, uh, just as an aside, we did do a, a one en blanc. We did a heart and lung transplant uh, that is included in, uh, in those numbers. So 124 um, single heart transplants and then one heart lung uh, transplant um, in that. And so that one is, is in that 99 of your cold storage. Um, but you as far as percentage-wise, in 2020, you know, very small percentage of non, um, you know, a, a, about 20% uh, of non-traditional. Uh, and then um, as far as this slide, you can see, you know, with the expand, you can see that, that what, I, what is important that, that, I, that I see is that you, you look at the traveled mileage yeah. using... Wow. Uh, the OCS, um, you know, it's it's double or you know at least it, it, it's triple sometimes, and at least one and a half times uh, the 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 length of, of travel you can do. Um, you're looking at an average of 1,400 miles um, mm -hmm. in the one category, and uh, of almost 850 or I, I'm sorry, almost 900 um, in the other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a big difference because that's, that's a that's a long that's trip a even at even at uh, 500 miles an hour. Yeah, exactly right. Um, and so, and, and our dry runs, you know, were, were even longer, uh, smaller end number, but uh, the, 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 using the Transmedics device does let you reach out further. Uh, there's no question about it. So that, that's the kind of thing uh, that, that highlights off on this, uh, on this slide. Um, the other thing I, I will say is that if you look at the AM cases and the PM cases, it's 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 really a wash uh, when it comes to the traditional heart transplants. But um, I think it's because of the length of time um, that it takes to do some of the DC or uh, our, our, uh, NRP or uh, this slide says ECMO DCD. Um, we usually like to start those cases in the morning just because the, uh, the amount of time that it takes, the coordination, you do have to pump the, uh, you know, you pump the organs uh, in vivo for an hour. Um, it's just, a, it's a very, uh, very long time that it takes to, um, to actually do those cases. Um, and, and I think we're getting better at it, um, but you can tell that the DCD uh, cases um, and the non-traditional, what I call non-traditional, um, are much longer if you look at the case hours, how long it's taken to, uh, to do those cases. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we can go to the next slide, 2021 results. And so um, I, I, I'm pretty proud of this slide. Um, our case volume really hasn't dipped. We're 11 months in, and we've done 115. Uh, of that 115, we've done another... Uh, on Blanc, so one of those um, is, a, is a heart lung. So we're down to 114, if you will, single organ transplants. But more importantly, um, I think this slide actually shows what impact 
the NRP has had on us, even even through COVID-related, um, you know, hiccups um, in 2021, we're nearly uh, a quarter is just DCD, and you, we've really, when it when it comes down to it, we're almost a third to 40 percent of uh, what our total volume is is non-traditional. So wow. we've almost mm-hmm. almost doubled wow. what um, what our non-traditional was from last year. Mm-hmm. The uh, length of time and the mileage is roughly the same. Um, it's the, no, nothing has changed as far as the metrics, as far as the the demographics, where we go, how long it takes, um, you know, AM versus PM cases. Um, but it's just it's the ability to go out and really recover these organs that, it, for all intents and purposes, would be, you know, would be lost without an effort. Uh, you know, as I don't, I don't want to be crass about it, but these these don't, you know these organs would be wasted, and we've actually um, you know taken 32 um, 32 patients have have an organ that they would not have received as soon. I don't like to say they wouldn't have received it because they are on the list. But they, but they would not have received. But they wouldn't have received this organ. Right. That's correct. These and, 32 and organs Hoffman, would have been. Right. And Dr. Hoffman has a has a has a fantastic paper that was just published um, that the results are astounding uh, on these hearts, um, primarily because they are younger people. There's no question about it. But these are organs that would have been wasted um, had not this therapy been introduced or, you know, implemented. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, the, the, the opportunity there, um, I just, I think it shows that there are organs out there that traditionally would be wasted that are fantastic organs that, um, you know, people, people need organs. And so, um, you know, the, the list is lengthy and uh, the wait is long. Mm-hmm. So um, I think, I think this really highlights in a direction that it, it really, for me, it's one of those things. It's an aha moment uh, in your career uh, that you go, you know, that this is worth the, you know, the the long trips, the late nights, and and the kind of the chaotic schedule of um, of putting it together. And um, so we, the other thing I'll comment about it, it takes it takes four perfusionists at, at VUMC to 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 do one of these um, cases. Wow. We send two perfu- we take we send two perfusionists out in the field um, to recover the hearts. We have one perfusionist back um, in the hospital taking care of the recipient. And then, of course, you have the, the on-call person that is on-call for any emergency. So if you want to say it's three, that's fine. But it, it takes a minimum of four people at your hospital to pull off one of these procedures. Um, so it is not, um, it is right, not, a, not a it, labor-intensive thing. Yeah, it's four people because, you know, you're, you're, you can say, like you said, you can say three but you're a big major university hospital. You you could have if you had all if you only had three and something else comes through the door, they get they can't be sacrificed. So yeah, you have to take care of whatever comes through the door on top of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll I'll take it one step further. There's an organization that spent a lot of money and a lot of time, and I I helped them and Dr. Shaw helped them to try to get up and running on this, um, and they. They were a major ECMO center uh, as well, and so you add ECMO onto that. So now you've got five people. 
that are involved because you've got have to have an on-call person and one person that's taking care of all your ECMO patients in-house. Well, they only had six staff members. Wow. Wow. And, and they, they realized that the amplitude of actually adding 30 cases or, or even, even if they, and they were a major transplant center of adding 30 cases, even if you wanted to go 50 cases at, 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 as a reach, that didn't, that didn't justify them adding a, a, another FTE. And so they abandoned the program right, uh, you know, right away when they realized that they could not trim it down any further to get this. Um, and, and so they, they spent a little bit of money buying some disposables, a lot of money buying a piece of capital equipment, a lot of time and, and, and effort getting the infrastructure right, only to know after three months they're like, this is not tenable. And so it, 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 it's under, I think people underestimate the difficulty of, of saying that this is, the procedure is really easy. Uh, I mean, it, it's not a difficult procedure, but the organization and the, and the commitment to, to structure and uh, to manpower is, is under, it seems underwhelming at first. When, when you really get into it, it is, uh, it is, it is daunting. Yeah, it sounds like it. So, um, do you have any more slides? Nope, that's it. Good okay. deal, good deal. Okay, so good. So, um, do you want to go? I've got questions, but you want to go first? Um, I just had one comment. Uh, the last thing you were saying about the program, uh, you know, that the institution that wanted to start this as a program, I think it's an interesting thing to talk about that, you know, they, they found the money for the capital, um, a piece of equipment and the disposables and, and contacting, uh, you know, the appropriate people to get the support to get it in place, but really didn't consider the manpower cost. I think that's something that we're very familiar with right now, just with what we're coming out of with the same thing with ECMO. We, you know, we had hospitals that wanted to start ECMO programs, but really didn't. But our established places that did have ECMO, you know, pretty frequently went from pretty frequently to all the time, and they did not consider what that was going to do to manpower mm -hmm. from our side, from, you know, the nursing, nursing uh, even the intensivist who you're spending a lot more time with these patients, and I think it was a, a really a, a rude awakening to what that really is, the mm -hmm. manpower cost and the resource people resource utilization so yes so although i'm sure that institution is disappointed that they weren't able to do this at this time it really shows that they're pretty smart in that they were looking at that and seeing what it was going to take to pull it off mm. so. well i i'm yeah that's a very good very good point um which i guess i have several questions but based on the technology as you see it currently do you see the potential for more international uh, transfer of these organs to expand it even farther than what you currently are, both with the traditional DCD and then with the um, with or with the transmedics rather, and then also with the DCD reconditioning with ECMO? and then DCD. So I guess it's what you call your ex expanded model. Do you, do you see, how far away do you see this actually getting? Well, I'll just answer the question quick. 
we, we did get a call to go to Anchorage, Alaska. And oh, that, wow. that's a seven hour flight. Um, and our OPO, the OPO there, uh, you know, said, we, we know you guys can do this. And um, it was very early on. I think we had three under our belt um, for the OCS. And we just felt that that was, that was really too much of a reach. I think if we got the call today, we wouldn't think twice about it. Wow. Um, I will say because the geographic area uh, of the, the Australians have really uh, are, are leading the way in this um, only because of the geographic necessity that they have in that country, um, you know, the, the, and, and they're partnered with New Zealand. So mm -hmm. I, I don't want to leave the, the, uh, the, the Kiwis out either. The 14 hours is, is what they've done. Wow. Um, and so, so on the, on the OCS box. Yes. Um, and so uh, it, to your point, Joe, I, I, I think it's more, um, I don't think it's going to be a, 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 unless they get into a, until there's a world organization of organ uh, donation. And I don't know, I, I, I'm not familiar with uh, what, what what's going on internationally, but um, I, I don't know if there's a sharing of organs in Europe from country to country. I don't know enough about that, but I, I can only imagine that if there was, to your point, there, there would be a, 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 an international list by region um, uh, and just say, you know, we have, we have a 34-year-old person in Port, uh, Portugal that is first on the list uh, for, and, and you can, when you think about this, you know, to the HLA, so where no one would actually have to have a, a mismatch organ. Size, HLA, and blood type would all be within, you know, almost within a parameter that you, you could really tighten up the, the window and just say that, you know, we, we have so many organs like this um, or not, we have so many organs that we don't have to take a, a marginal match uh, mm -hmm. for someone, yeah. whether it be size, HLA testing, or what, it, really that that is that's pie in the sky, that's future. But I think we, it, it could be started here in the U.S. just because of the geographic area that we have um, and the population that we have. Yeah. I, I think yeah. we I think we would lead the way in that, mm -hmm. or yeah. could lead the way in that. Mm -hmm. Yes, very interesting. Um, the other question that I had then is, um, what is your view on, since you brought up this hospital that uh, what, there was also a transplant center, but decided that they wanted to expand into this uh, uh, OCS, DCD, uh, transmedics, all of this stuff, um, how, what is your view on centralization? Uh, because we this this can this can go from something as intense as this all the way down to just normal heart surgery, uh, where you have some places that require a certificate of need, for example, before you can open up a heart surgery program, because they don't want you know outcomes are generally considered better at programs, and I mean I think the data supports that your outcomes are better the more of something that you do and if you do 20 30 40 even 50 hearts a year your outcomes tend to not be nearly as good as a place that does 200 or 300 or 150 or 500 or whatever it may be do you see the same thing with this so you get the heart there 
but then your patient, actually the recipient, has to get the, the, the organ put in them, but then they also have to be recovered and hiccups that may happen have to be dealt with. And when you don't have the experience with hiccups, then you may not be able to get that patient through that problem where someplace else they may have. So I'd like to know your views on both you and Joey on the concept of centralization when it comes to these very significantly advanced techniques. Well, I, 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 I will say that, you know, that you're exactly right that, um, you know, data suggests that, um, you know, organizations or, or, or hospitals that do more volumes have better outcomes. And, you know, I, I don't think that's a, uh, I don't think that's a, a, a tough stretch to visualize it. Practice makes perfect. Um, and, and you are constantly tweaking, um, you know, problems. And if you do enough, you'll see a lot of problems and, and you're prepared for those a little bit um, better. I, as far as this, this particular, um, uh, you know, therapy is concerned, I, you know, there is a lot. Of, I, I was surprised to see the number of transplant centers in the country. And there's, there, there's, there's places doing, you know, in the in the teens. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of places that are doing the teens and twenties. Really? And you know, when you say when you say well, you're doing one a month, um, you know, it, it, that's you know, it's impressive that you know that you can have that that level of of uh, results with such a low end, in my opinion. Hmm. Um, uh, what what I guess what I would say is is that. They may be very selective about what they're doing uh, as far as what patients they're they're doing, um, because they're you, you do. I mean, your I think your accreditation is based on your results in, in transplantation, if I'm not mistaken. I think you can lose your accreditation. I, I, I guess it's my point. Mm -hmm. um, there has to be some level of, of competency and results to pull that off. I will say that um, I think. Uh, you know, we have grown into a transplant center. Uh, I mean, it, it's, it's tough to say uh, otherwise, uh, but, you know, in town, St. Thomas is a transplant center too. It's two mm -hmm. miles down the road and, you know, they're doing 20 to 30. Mm -hmm. um, and so to, to say that you can't have multiple programs in the same city, they're very successful. That's definitely not true. Mm -hmm. um, to say that they're not doing a good job down the road, that's not true either. They're doing a fantastic job. I just, I, I, I don't know where that cutoff is to say that we, you know, as a, as a, as a team, as a hospital, shouldn't be doing these anymore um, because of the, the low, low variability. I think more importantly, it's having patients dual listed at multiple centers locally um, is probably the, the, the best, uh, the best suggestion I know that's cats and dogs playing together because that that's that's having hospitals uh, having two patients or having the same patient be on a list of competing organizations. Um, but on the same token, if we all step back and go that you know it's all about the patient, that's really what what what, what organizations should be doing. I think mm -hmm. and that's my opinion. And if everybody is doing an adequate job to keep their accreditation and, and you know and doing the right thing by patients. Everybody, you know, regionally, people should be on multiple different lists at multiple different centers, and, and say, you know, this this is this is what's best for 
uh, overall uh, humanity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very good. Well, I think that seems reasonable. I mean, I think that's fair. And I think you're 100% correct. Joey, I have a question for you because you're so quiet. Um, yes, sir. We can all, we, none of us can get an, a word in edgewise. You're always, you're always right there. Um, where do you see this all going? What, what, what do you, what is your brain telling you as far as, you know, uh, xenotransplantation, organ availability, expansion into this, um, manage, you know, where do you see heart failure maybe in the future? Do you see this? as being a continued need at the current level? Do you see it becoming an increased need? So, you know, sort of your overall views of all of where this is all going to end up in, say, five or 10 years. Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. Um, we've talked about kind of, um, you know, not, not just what we're doing now, but ways to, one, improve what we're doing and, and, and also figuring out what else we could do to ex expand the donor pool um, you know, and, and get those, you know, potential organs that are maybe outside of our parameters uh, that we've set right now. Um, <clears throat> you know, I think, you know, we, we do generally go for younger hearts at this point, you know, is it, do we, ex, you know, uh, expand the age group, um, you know, hearts that are a little bit more marginal, um, is there different techniques that we can do, um, you know, in situ that we're, when we're there, um, that, you know, could, uh, potentially result in, in, in an increased, uh, number of, of hearts. You know, the, the xenotransplant kind of stuff, you know, me personally, I, I don't know. That may be way down the road. You know, I, I have no idea. I don't know enough about it. Um, you know, the, the, the concept is a little, um, you know, weird to me. But, you know, I, I know they're doing research on it. So, you know, we'll see what, what comes of it. Um, you know, the the heart in the box, you know, the, the transmedics really, you know, opened the door for you know a, a lot of centers and, and and i wanted to say you know uh you what we talked about earlier is having the manpower to do this i think really um it plays a crucial role mm -hmm. and so you uh, you'll find a lot of the larger transplant centers you know on, on east and west coast you know maybe you know a couple sprinkled in through mid-america that that can handle this so you you we may see patients brought in other centers to, you know, these bigger institutions to be able to handle that, you know, this type deal, um, you know, and, and then, you know, recover there for a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm not really sure how that how that works, you know, from a logistical standpoint. But, you know, yeah, it goes without saying, that, you know, the, the list, you know, is definitely, you know, outgrowing, you know, the 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 uh, the demand is outgrowing the uh, you know, what we have. Mm -hmm. So, uh, demand is higher than supply. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. it, uh, you know, I think it's going to take some pushing of the envelope, you know, take, taking mm -hmm. some, uh, some adventure risk, you know, and, and that's just, that, that's the nature of cardiac surgery. You think about where we've come from, from the 50s, where we are now. And, and, 
you know, the, just the, the, the amount of research that has gone into to this, you know, it, you know, there, there's, there's all kinds of stuff that's on the horizon. And, uh, you know, I think we're excited to be uh, a front runner in it and, uh, they will continue to push forward and, and, you know, see what happens. That's very, that's, that's, that's very thought. Those are very thoughtful, um, mm-hmm. comments, Joey. Thank you very much. Did you have any other questions? I didn't. I had one other question, Joey, and this is, uh, all, uh, either of you could answer this. So I'm still very, um, caught up on the um, idea that you're putting this patient on ECMO. I remember the video that you did the last program, which was uh, very impressive with when you, it was go time and then the saw didn't work and the speed yeah. in which you were trying to reinitiate um, circulation. You know, do you guys spend any time at that point where you just are trying to accomplish the highest flow that you possibly can before anybody touches the patient and giving, you know, very luxurious, let's say, DO2, getting all of the physiology straight, um, managing the acidosis, all of that stuff to where you get homeostatic um, neutrality long enough before everybody jumps in there and starts trying to pull their organs out. Yeah, so if I'm understanding the question correctly, if, if, if there's some, I guess, um, hold up there and it not going smoothly, uh, I think number one is our heart surgeon always tells the, the other um, you know, recovering surgeons to go ahead and make incisions and, and be on the ready in case we have to, you know, kind of cancel the, the heart portion. And then it turns into a traditional DCD procurement for liver, pancreas, you know, whatever, whatever abdominal organ that they're there to get. So that way there, there is, you know, maybe just, um, you know, how long does it usually take to get on? Like three, three, three minutes. four minutes, you know? And so if we're not on within those few minutes, um, you know, there's no hesitation in, in our heart surgeon backs away says, go ahead. And that way, you know, we're not sacrificing any abdominal organs because, um, you know, that's the last thing we want. Um, now, if, I think back to your question, you know, if, if I remember or if I understanding, if there's some issue, you know, and we're just having like low flow, um, you know, cannulas are in, but maybe not quite secured to the you know, point where we don't want to, you know, get all the way up to, you know, four and a half, five liters of flow. Um, yeah, I think correcting acidosis is, is, is a top priority. Um, you're not going to, it's not going to return back to a normal pH there that 735 to 7.45 it's not going to get anywhere near that um, you know not not right away at least um, you know we, we have the sweep up pretty high to try to you know mitigate that and then you know sodium bicarb to try to help it as well um, you know the the lactate's going to be pretty pretty high you know given the fact that the um, you know the heart obviously is, is not perfusing for for several minutes so mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, not quite, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, they, they make, they make some, uh, you know, some, some, you know, some adjustments, I, I suppose, to make sure that we can get out of that hole. Mm-hmm. I, I think actually the most important thing is that, it, and we, we, 
we've recently do, done this is that you know the old adage um, you know low flow is better than no flow high flow is better than low flow mm -hmm. uh, in the in the beginning we were trying to you know reverse acidosis and get perfusion right away you know we want to go on four or five liters a minute instantly well these cannulas aren't aren't secured in there's no purse strings they're just being held in by by the the, the, the junior faculty uh, mm -hmm. or the, the fellow or the resident that's with us the, the second set of hands at the table mm -hmm. and and so you know we've actually started to just go at two and a half to three liters of flow beginning we've got a sweep of ten um, you know what we have the same five or six people of our group go and we get a, a pre-op blood gas what it looks like before the patient um, it, uh, before the uh, patient is withdrawn upon, so we have a, a, a snapshot of what uh, you know the, the perfusates uh, you know, in in vivo was before the withdrawal. And then you know as you get better, as you do more of these, you kind of have an idea. Well, for the length of time that the patient was it was dying, and and until we get on, we have a pretty good understanding of exactly what. Uh, pharmacological intervention, whether it be bicarb or um, other interventions that we would have to get back as soon as possible to that normal pH of that to that homeostasis, you know, where that sweet spot, if you will. But to Joey's point, you could flow five liters a minute right out the gate, and it's still going to take 10 to 15 minutes to to turn everything around. So, in the best interest of everything, what we've decided is we're going to start off at, at lower flows two to three liters a minute until the cannulas actually get fixed in and then we can go to five liters. Mm -hmm. And because it, it, in the big picture, if we go to five liters while the cannula's not sewn in and all of a sudden there's a, uh, you know, either, you know, there's somebody gets bumped at the field or whatever and that aortic cannula comes comes out, which it has before, and or it just come, bumps up a little bit and delaminates the aorta and we have a dissection, that heart's ruined. Yes. And so, you know, it, 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 we, it's really, we've progressed into these things that we, and, and we, we realize that, you know, slow, steady, um, uh, almost um, like direct and specific motion um, is better than, you know, ragtag and let's just go, 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 because, uh, you know, there is a percentage of organs that will you'll lose with dissections, and in the beginning, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, our percentage was, you know, about 20%. We were losing those organs, and then we realized where our mistakes were as a team, and it, it's, you know, it's us back there, probably wanting to overflow, uh, the surgeon up there trying to keep the cannulas in. It, it, it's a team effort. Yes. And so we have, in, in, in quite some time now. I'll, I'll say real quick, I, I think we, you know, we've also, um, it's kind of dawned on me, I, I think the, the biggest thing is, is reanimation and, you know, the return of coronary perfusion. Mm -hmm. uh, you, we don't necessarily have to get all the way up to, you know, five liters of flow to, to get that. I think it's just the, the reperfusion, you know, itself, you know, um, that kind of helps reanimate that heart and then it's beating, perfusing the coronaries is what's important for that, you know, that myocardium. And, and you know, it doesn't, you know, flows of, of that high don't necessarily have to, you know, don't have to be immediate. 
It's just like Matt said, low flow is better than no flow. So we get some perfusion in there. Heart reanimates. You're perfusing the myocardium. That that's the number one goal uh, mm -hmm. up front. Yes. Yeah. yeah that makes yes. a lot of yeah. sense. Yeah. What do you so um, the the so you give the, uh, the the medications that you give for because of course I'm assuming you're very concerned about uh, reactive oxygen species and you're concerned about uh, that type of reperfusion injury that you're going to have with the oxygen radicals and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so do you use that medications, the medications you use for, for, uh, scavenging those or what's your process there? Well, it, it's funny. Yes. That, that was one of the other, um, things that we broke away from transmedics, um, I think it's because of the length of time, but we use acetylcysteine, actually. Okay. Uh, Mucomis, the, 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 but, you know, the, the, the IV form of it in our prime. And so we're using mannitol, which is an option-free radical mm -hmm. scavenger. Acetylcysteine does the same thing. And so we, we are very conscious of that. Once again, um, because in the, in the limited amount of equipment we can take just to be mobile and not the um, you know, there's different air, um, air, uh, I guess, connections in multiple different hospitals. So we don't even take a blender. We go right off of the, um, the, the valve off the anesthesia machine. We're using 100% oxygen off of the, off of the, uh, off the valve. Mm -hmm. And so we're not monitoring, or we're monitoring, but we're, we can't do anything about, uh, you know, we can't do anything about, you know, the O2 levels. Uh, we're 100 percent oxygen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's because <clears throat> I've read a lot about that, where it's when you have a reestablishment of flow, um, it's the it's the oxygen <laughs> that causes all of your problems. Right. But it's the oxygen that you're going to have to have. So you're almost really you're you're really in a, in a, in a, in a difficult situation. But it sounds interesting that you're using the uh, the oxygen scavenging uh, 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 methodology in order to try and at least attenuate that. And it seems to be working, right? Mm -hmm. So your hearts are coming back and able to function and, and so forth. So that's, that's a good thing. Yeah. Anything else? Uh, no. Mm, go ahead. I just have one more comment. I wanted to talk Tammy's very first question about staffing, yeah. uh, of that, you know, things I, it, it was, it kind of hit me up. You know, today, Joe, in this, uh, in this, most perfusionists, I, I want to say, are either uh, salary-based or, uh, you know, they're event-based. Event I think event-based are probably more local, um, smaller hospitals. But for the most part, I think larger organizations are salary-based, um, uh, not hourly, uh, but just salary. And when you think about that model as a salary-based to, to have a hospital or organization say, hey, we're going to go ahead and do this. Um, the only way people make more money in a salaried environment is if they work less. Right. That's right. Right. Or, or, or you increase their salary. Yes. I mean, that, that's the two ways. But if, if a hospital or organization was going to say, we're going to go ahead and adopt this policy, then we're going to try these new things, and we're going <laughs> to you know, do 10 the first year. So you just added 20 more FTEs 
at uh, on one of the slides it was 11 hours to go do one of these things so you just added you know 20 more people to do 11 more hours per event mm -hmm. and there was no increase in their salary right more than likely right right and so right. from a perfusion standpoint <clears throat> uh, although this this would be a very this is a very attractive thing to grow your numbers 10 20 30 50 of these events isn't going to move the needle to get an FTE Right. So that's the other obstacle I, I, I will suggest that it's really a hard sell. Uh, you know, if, if you're going to, if people are going to come to the perfusion department and go, hey, we're going to go do these random things uh, mm -hmm. 10 to, you know, 30 times a year that is going to be very high intensive. And by the way, we're not sure if we can pay you more about this, but we're going to see what we can do. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's not very appealing to a perfusion group, <laughs> in, in my opinion. Well, it's not it takes just a very the additional... Unique, it, Sorry, Matt. I was going to say it's yeah. not even just the additional hours. It's all the things that go with it. The travel, the, the um, obviously more um, unplanned uh, events that you have to respond to. So, the stress. Yeah, the, the stress, stress alone. alone. <laughs> you don't get paid enough for the stress you go through. Okay, right. I, I'm going to tell you right now, they couldn't afford me if they wanted me to go do what you guys are doing. I, I mean, I'm not it doing seems it. incredibly exciting. But living it out, I'm sure it translates mm. a little differently many times. You know, it's inconvenient when these things are going to happen, even more so than what we are already used to with, you know, the standard emergencies and overnight cases and things like that. So right. I think you're right. There, there's really not, there's almost not a, a way to, um, it, unless you're really going to do a lot and really grow your team to be able to absorb that, I just don't see how it's attractive at all other than just the actual experience of doing it. I mean, I would be thrilled to do it. I don't know if that's the life I want to live, though. No, I would love to go on some ride-alongs yeah, with you sure. and watch it, okay? I don't know that I'm, you know, I mean, I'm kind of old in my career now. I'm not sure that that's a young man. It seems more like a young man's game to me. Yeah. But, you know, when I look at, look, I run, you know, as you well know, you run a department, I run a business. And... Um, you have time? You're good? Yeah, I, I, I'm just making sure we're not getting kicked out of this room. Oh. oh okay. No, no, go ahead. So, so Joey, I'll, I'll talk with you about this. I think you can, you can, <laughs> now, Matt runs a department, obviously, and I run a business. And so the, the goal of a business or a department head is to get the most amount of work out of people for the least amount of money. And the goal of the either team, staff member, team member, employee, it doesn't matter what, how you want what, how you want to call it, what you want to call them, is to get the most amount of money for the least amount of work. Mm -hmm. And somewhere between those two edges, is a good quality of life, good lifestyle, good, you know, work-life balance, good income, you know, what is acceptable to the, to the payer and to the paid. Um, and, there, and that's where you basically operate. If, you, if you're too far one direction or the other, you either have a failed business, you have both directions you have a failed business. One because you can't afford it, 
to the other direction because nobody wants to work for you. Yeah. So there is, you know, we, we live in a free market society and medicine is an industry, um, you know, so you, that's basically what you do. You try to get the most amount of work out of people for the least amount of money and people are going to get to accept it. They're going to want to do the least amount of work for the most amount of money. And you basically just come out from the edges towards the middle. And you, you know, there's a gray area in there somewhere in the middle and it, it fluctuates. But as you, uh, if you want to have a successful business or a successful department, um, you have to have people that are happy with what they're doing, excited about their jobs, um, feel professionally challenged and uh, with mobility, upward mobility in their careers, uh, but also valued in terms of it's not all I do in my life is work, although I work hard. You know, the more money you make, generally speaking, the more personal time you don't have. That's kind of goes hand in hand, I think. And medicine is a very, um, it's a commitment. It's a profession. It's not a job. Um, right. So I think that all has to be taken into consideration. But people still want to have a personal life and they want to feel rewarded, appreciated, respected and compensated appropriately for what it is they have to do, the amount of time they have to spend, the sacrifice, and as you said, the stress involved with this. You know, we you go get a heart, I, I, you know, you don't know any of these patients personally, but th that heart may as well be going, that may as well be your family member's heart going into a family member. Uh, at the other end that's going to be the recipient. There's a tremendous amount of emotional connection that takes place. We take our jobs very, very seriously. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, you can make a lot more money catching a football because that's entertainment. But I think that as a whole, and I don't want to really belabor this, but I think our society as a whole has got it all screwed up in what we value and what people actually earn for what it is they do and the impact that has on people's lives. Whether a football game is won or lost is only going to matter to the odds makers in Las Vegas and the people that bet on the damn game or people that are emotionally disturbed and they, they it's the end of their life if their team didn't win the damn Super Bowl. But they think nothing about traveling 1,400 miles to go get a heart out of a patient in one of the most tragic events of that family's life to take to somebody else who is praying like hell that that organ comes back in a healthy way so they can get on with their life. Mm -hmm. And all of this happens not in a vacuum. It happens during the holidays. It happens on their birthdays. It happens, uh, during you know. During kids' activities. Right. Yeah. So, you know. I mean, but but that's a that's a, a big philosophical conversation, and I'm sorry for going off on this tangent, but it, it is fundamentally how I feel that I think that as a whole, medical professionals from the top physicians, surgeons to the um, to the scrub techs that are handing the instruments up uh, in the field that matter tremendously with how they're doing their job so that the surgeon can do their job so that we can do our job 
to help the surgeon do their job. I just think that at the end of the day, all medical professionals are grossly underappreciated in our society. But there's my high horse. Sorry. <laughs> well, Joe, I appreciate today. We're uh, we're actually getting booted out of this conference room. Oh, are yeah. you really? It's it's eight oh five. They're busy there at Vanderbilt. Okay, well, we'll, you know what? Tell them, tell them their program can wait. This is more serious. <laughs> tell them Joe said. All right, we're going to take a right. Joey, Matt, thank you all very thank much. Thank you so much.